Good evening and welcome to Robin and Stephanie's Crimeaholics podcast. Say hi, Steph. Hey. So tonight we're going to cover another one in South Jersey. And right now we are at Lake Track Elementary School, which is where this 12-year-old who was murdered uh, went to school. So I'm going to read an article I found on the internet because it gave uh, a lot of information about it and then we'll discuss it. So it says it was one of the most heinous crimes in South Jersey. More than 30 years ago, Kenneth Halsnick was only 14 but already 6 feet tall and weighing 200 pounds. He broke into his neighbor's Defford home. It was supposed to be a simple robbery. Instead, Halsnick viciously attacked 12-year-old Kim Marie Anderson as she got ready for school. He stabbed her nearly a hundred times in the head, the neck, the chest, and other areas. 76 of the wounds were inflicted while Kim was still alive. You want to go with some? Sure. The veracity of the assault was so intense that the tip of the knife broke twice, leaving pieces in her head. Houseneck also beat the 5-foot-3-inch, 120-pound 7th grader repeatedly with a French-style telephone. A judge ordered Houseneck to be tried as an adult, and the jury convicted him of murder following an emotionally charged trial that was moved from Gloucester to Salem County because of the extensive pre-trial publicity. The team was sentenced to life in prison, meaning he would have to serve a minimum of 30 years before becoming eligible for parole. Houseneck, who turns 46 in May, which I think this article was in, what, 2021? So, 19. Oh, 19. Um, He became eligible for parole last spring, but so far it seems intent to remain in Southwood State Britain. Uh, state prison in Bridgeton. A spokesperson for the New Jersey State Parole Board said in an email that Halsnick is refusing to cooperate with preparation of case hearing materials for the parole hearing process. With his refusal to cooperate, a hearing has not and will not be scheduled. The news comes as a relief to Kim's parents. In the decades since the murder of their youngest child, the couple has dreaded the day when Halsnick would become eligible for parole. While there is no guarantee he would be released, the possibility that their daughter's killer could be freed has always haunted them. He won't come out of their normal, said Steven Anderson, the father, in a telephone interview from this couple's South Jersey home. We just keep praying that he never gets out. Joni was one of Kim's best friends. She discovered her classmate's battered body. The image still haunts her decades later. The idea that Halsnick might one day be released from prison turns my stomach, she said. It's ludicrous to me that you can just open the door and let him walk. 
a retired detective with the major crimes unit of Gloucester County's prosecutor's office said. Coincidentally, the agency was the one that investigated Kim's death. You want to turn? Yeah, that's where Joni works. Um, if you think any human being can do that to another, is institutionalized for 30 years, and then will become a productive and normal person is a silly thought. He doesn't deserve to live a life. He gave up that right when he took hers. In the early morning of Tuesday, April 19th, um, 1988, Kim and another girl were expected for breakfast at a friend's house across the street from the girls uh, before the girls boarded the bus for Lake Track School. The Andersons owned a catering business in Blackwood Terrace, but because of an ongoing employee problem, Esther, who would normally be home to see Kim and her brother off to school, was going in early to assist her husband. Hasnack was a friend of Kim's brother. The two attended junior high school in the area. Um, other than the family dog, there was no one else home and Kim was alone. After Kim failed to show for breakfast and didn't answer the telephone, her friends, including Joni, walked over to the Andersons' home, shouting Kim's name. They got no response and decided to investigate further. The girls screamed and ran from the house. Kim, partially clothed, was lying on the floor just inside her bedroom next to a blood-soaked Cabbage Patch doll. Investigators immediately focused on Houseneck as the suspect. He was late to school that morning and was immediately sent to the nurse's office to treat a cut on the palm of his hand. Authorities also learned he owed money to an older friend for pornographic magazines and discussed committing a robbery to repay the debt. In addition, while investigators were scouring the neighborhood for clues shortly after the murder, Houseneck approached them and made a strange revelation. You know, my fingerprints are all over the house, even in Kim's room, he told them, according to sworn statements. I'd like to, I like to stand in front of the mirror and listen to Kim's radio. My prints are even on her bed because I looked out the windows. Investigators... <laughs> soon discovered a note on Hausnick's bed to the Andersons featuring sexually explicit drawings, the same type a school psychologist had noted when Hausnick was 11. This is your daughter's killer. I hope you know I use gloves. The next one to get is Mrs. Anderson, the note read. You want to go? Hausnick has never publicly told his version of what happened that morning except to characterize it as an accident before he was sentenced in September 1991. But he told one of his court-appointed doctors that after grabbing a piggy bank in Stephen Jr.'s room and planning to leave, he was confronted by Kim. She screamed and grabbed me, he said, according to a medical report shared with prosecutors as part of the discovery process. We were wrestling. I had a knife. She might have thought I was going to rape her. As the pair continued to wrestle, Hausnick said, Kim wouldn't stop screaming. I wanted to leave, and she kept screaming. I grabbed the telephone and hit her on the head to get her off. Hausnick took the knife, which police said he had shoplifted from a department store the day before to protect him from Anderson's dog, 
and started to give her jabs so she would keep off. I don't know why. I just didn't knock her out. I didn't want to hurt her. Eventually, Hausnick said he passed out. When he awoke, she was under me. She is all stabbed. I was scared. After washing his fingerprints off the walls and spraying the room with deodorant to conceal any odor, police said Hausnick went home and changed from his bloody clothes. I thought I was dreaming. I thought that if I went to school and then I went home and go to sleep, then it would never have happened because it would all have been a dream, the report states. Hausnick has declined repeated media interview requests over the years. Attorneys with the state's office and the public defender have exhausted most appeals over the years to have his sentence reduced, claiming, among other things, that Hausnick received ineffective counsel. Recently, attorneys filed a last-ditch effort to piggyback on the state's law that went into effect in March of 2016 that says children under the age of 15 cannot be waived to adult court. They are seeking to have the law applied retroactively to Hausnick's case. If successful, Hausnick could be released as a juvenile to a substantially shorter prison term, which would allow him to be released from prison without relying on the discretion and supervision of a parole board. Arguments were heard in late October before Superior Court Judge Christine Allen Jackson, she was the judge that divorced me, <laughs> love her, in Gloucester County. She denied the motion in a written discussion issued in November, a written decision issued in November. Defense attorneys are appealing. Prosecutors are hopeful they will prevail in this latest appeal. They point to other legal opinions, including a state appellate court ruling last fall that upheld the adult sentence of a defendant who was 14 when he was charged with beating an elderly to death with a nail-studded board from a robbery in 1983. Guess we'll have to look at that one. He was convicted of murder and other charges with a sentence of life in prison with 35 years without parole eligibility. No matter how many motions are filed or how much time goes by, the state will continue to ardently seek justice for the Anderson family, said Dana, a senior assistant prosecutor for Gloucester County. The Andersons attended the hearing in Judge Jackson's courtroom. Hausnick was a no-show. Over the years, the Andersons have watched as Kim's friends graduated high school and college. Many have families of their own. Kim would be 42 now, so she'd be 45 now. Perhaps married with children, Hausnick stole those moments from the Andersons. With each legal proceeding or a possibility of parole for their daughter's killer in the back of their minds, the Andersons are adamant that Hausnick is where he belongs. I hope he stays there forever, the mother said. 
So, this happened right in Deford, which uh, we, I went to the high school in the next town, which is Woodbury, and Woodbury and Deford, you know, are adjoining, and we all hung out with each other. So, this case sort of hit home because it's so close. So, I've seen like four appeals that he filed. Why does he keep filing appeals to get out, but won't do what he's supposed to do That's to get out? I was going to say, he's so adamant to try to, to try to get out and file all these appeals, but you, you won't do what's required of you to go before the parole board. Like, if you want to get out that bad, why not do what you're required to do? I mean, maybe he knows he's... He's going to do it again. Maybe he's safer there. Maybe he feels safer there. Because he comes out. I mean, that was my daughter. I'd, I'd be looking for him. I mean, yeah. I mean, they've done so many appeals, whether it be to try to retroactively make that law so he can be resentenced as a juvenile. or Which that appeal was denied. Right. That appeal was denied. Um, also, the other one they were trying to, I read somewhere that... Um, his mental capacity at the time. Um, something, you know, that the, it was more of a, 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 trying to say that there was, um, the adolescent brain lacks impulse control, planning capacity, and consideration of consequences, and therefore adult setting, sentencing guidelines should be a, applied to juvenile defendant. Like, but he knew to stab her 96 times. Like, yeah, how so is that impulse control? My thoughts on that, if you can do an adult crime, you can pay adult time. Exactly. And that's, I, mean, I totally agree with that. Stealing a candy bar from the store is a kid. Right. But it, murdering someone and stabbing them 96 times. I mean, he had the intent of going there to rob. She just happened to be home. The fact that she was partially clothed and at the age of 11, there was a psychologist that noted there were sexual. So, I mean, was she was partially clothed. I mean, I know she was getting ready for school, but they never really said if he did anything to her. He was robbing to get money to pay for pornographic magazines. So, I mean, there's so much more to it that we probably don't even really know what really happened so i did find another article that really went into detail on what he did did you want to read that one i can read that one if you'd like um okay so this was an article i found as well um robin had to print it out because we couldn't print the article but um it was Kim Marie Anderson didn't answer the door when her school friend Patel Stover knocked on at her Deptford Township home around 8 a.m. on the morning of April 19th. So Patel, who testified yesterday at the trial of the teenager accused of killing Kim, said she crossed the street to their friend Joanne's house. Maybe 12-year-old... Oh, I'm sorry, Joni. You're right. Maybe 12-year-old Kim was at Joni's. She wasn't. The two children phoned the Anderson home and got no reply. They speculated Kim was still asleep or perhaps she had hurt herself taking a shower. What 12-year-old thinks that they hurt themselves? Their friend hurt themselves taking a shower, but okay. If, if you did this every morning and all of a sudden one was missing well, and you yeah, didn't get I mean, a call that's or true. nothing. Yeah. Like, um, the, 
Colin family had a key to the Anderson's ranch style home and the two went over and opened the door and shouted Kim as they entered. Again, there was no reply. Patel, now 15, went towards Kim's bedroom and Joni, now 16, went into the kitchen. The faucet was running in the kitchen and the sink had overflowed, soaking the kitchen floor. Joni had turned the faucet off and was looking in the utility room off the kitchen when she heard Patel scream. The two met in the hallway and according to testimony yesterday by Joni, Patel was taking was talking, talking in choppy words. Kimmy hurt bleeding somebody. The family, friends, and neighbors of Kim Marie Anderson recalled the morning of her death during the second day of the murder trial in Salem yesterday. Kenneth Hasnick, a neighbor of Kim, who is charged in her death, is offering a defense of not guilty because he was either insane or under duress or acting with a diminished mental capacity when he stabbed her 95 times and beat her with a telephone. So it never occurred to you in 95 times this is wrong? Right. I mean, you broke the knife twice and kept on going like, don't tell me you have a Well, I mean, it kind of contradicts what he said before. Like, I was just trying to get her to shut up. Yeah. You know, like, uh, who knows? Um, the family, friends, and neighbors... Mm, I already read that part. I lost my... <laughs> spot okay the morning of april 19th began like any other according to the testimony by kim's parents stephen and esther by kim's parents stephen and esther oh and her 17 year old brother stephen jr the andersons with the exception of kim rose at 5 a.m stephen and esther left the house shortly after six to get their catering business and stephen jr left shortly after seven waking kim before he left Kim slept later because her classes at Lake Track Elementary School, where she was a seventh grader, didn't begin until nine. The Andersons, who remained composed while giving testimony, also told the court that they had known Hasnick since he and Stephen had been in kindergarten together. Hasnick had been in their home numerous times over the previous nine years. In the week before the slaying, Hasnick had played Nintendo and Stephen Stephen's bedroom and had gone with Stephen and his father and another friend to a concert by the heavy metal band Megadeth. Mm. All right. <laughs> Stephen testified that when Hausnack was playing, wasn't, wait. Stephen testified that when Hausnack was playing Nintendo, Kim asked him to tell Hausnack to leave because she did not like him. The Andersons, who also testified that their catering firm was a cash business and they only left money lying around the house often. often sorry left money lying around the house Hausnack allegedly was looking for cash to pay for pornographic magazines when he encountered and attacked kim a school friend of kim's uh tracy o'callahan took the stand and said she had phoned kim shortly after 7 a.m as it was her habit to make sure she had headed heated her brother Wait, to make sure. Oh, to yeah, to up. get up. They chatted briefly, and she thought about it. Thought it was scummy that O'Callaghan couldn't wash her hair because she had a perm the previous day. Between those words and the arrival of Anderson home, the two friends left an hour later. Kim Marie was killed. Patel's. Is there another page? Okay. Mm -hmm. 
Patel Stover and Joni said they ran back across the street to Joni's home almost immediately after seeing Kim's body. Joni's sister, Gina, told the court that she heard the girl scream and bolted across the street to Kim's bedroom. And the moment after she stepped into the room, she testified she stopped in pure panic. Before her, she said Kim was lying on her side, her arms and legs crossed, covered in blood. Gina said she left her stocking feet. She, she felt her stocking feet get sticky wet and she realized she was standing in one of the number of puddles of blood. She checked for Kim's pulse and there was nothing. Her father, James, had followed her to the Anderson home and told the court he went to the room, went from room to room looking for the intruder, but none was found. So, I don't know. There was a lot of information about this. Um, go back to my opinion, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You take a life, you give yours. I cannot believe that he is eligible to get out. But he's not taking the steps to get out. Right, which is a good thing. Right, I mean, but, it definitely is a good thing. But he is eligible to get out. I don't which understand is... how you take a life and you serve 30 years and you're back out on the streets. Well, I guess maybe they gave him that sentence because he was so young at the time. Maybe giving him a chance to, you know... You know, but why prison is it... supposed to be about rehabilitation. Oh, come on. And well, anyway, that's what it's <laughs> supposed to be. You know, rehabilitate. You learn your lesson. You become a better person and, and all this and that, which we know obviously doesn't always happen. But, I mean, maybe that's why they only gave him 30. I don't know. But I feel as though if you get a life sentence, you serve life. There's not a year amount on there. Right. It's until you take your last breath and then your dead body leaves. You don't get to come out alive and participate in life. It's I just don't think that's right. No, I totally agree with you. I don't I don't think it's right either. It's it definitely is an eye for an eye. I feel I mean, and what's to say if he was ever to get out? you know, what would happen to him. Yeah. And not only that, I mean, if he was this sick in the head as a teenager, what the hell is it like now that he's been in that little itty bitty room and I'm sure he's probably gotten his ass beat, raped or whatever right. in jail. Well, what's he like now? Right. What's his mental, what's his mental state at this point after being in there for so long? Because basically he essentially went through his whole teenage years, adulthood, and he's midlife now in prison. Yeah, like, like, how do you function on the outside? And I don't even know. I mean, I don't know if his parents are still alive as of this article. The one article that was just a couple years ago, it seemed like they were both alive. But I kind of feel like we found some other information um, that he had a sister. but She completely changed her name. Um, she wants nothing or any recognition or anyone to know that she was part of this family. Um, you Don't can't blame find, her. Uh, you can't find anything on the internet when you look, she's a famous actress. I'm not going to put her name out there, but she, um, she grew up in this area. She was a, she did beauty pageants and she completely changed her name. And when you look her up on IMDb, it gives no information about her early life. 
Like, you can't find anything about who her parents... You know, you look up anybody else, you can find out who their parents are. Not her. You can't find anything. I wonder how she did that. I don't know. But it seems to be a new trend right now that when these people go to jail, that they change their name. Why? Mm. What? Why do they allow that? So They shouldn't allow that. I have an ugly middle name that I hate with a passion. <laughs> and I went, you know, and researched what it was going to cost and what you had to do mm. to change your name. And when I looked at that, it was $500 and you needed a judge's permission. So how do these prisoners change to, their and damn name? you have name? to post something like, I know back in the day, I don't know if they still do it, but like you have to put that in the newspaper, like under the legal notices, like three times before you can do, and, get a name change. And the funny thing is when they change their name and you look them up on Google, so you look up the murderer's name, mm -hmm. and then it says AKA and gives their new name. So what the hell did you do there? Right. Exactly. <laughs> True. So back to this case. Right. So I grew up, you know, around the corner from here. Uh, a lot of my friends, their kids went to the same school. Not at the same time because it was 1988. But it's just so close to home. And, I mean, it was someone they friggin' knew. It was their neighbor. He hung right. out with the brother. Right. But I am glad that, it, you know, it was solved right away. That it didn't, you know, drag, drag on, on and right. whatever. I mean, it seems like he was pretty much the prime suspect as soon as it happened. Yeah, right off the bat. Right off the bat. Which is kind of odd in itself, but... But the other thing that throws me is... Most kids don't see a school psychologist. So if he's seeing a psychologist in school at 11, at 11, he was already problematic. Like right. why why wasn't someone watching him? Where was his parents that time in the morning? Uh, he like, never mentions his parents. No, not at all. I mean, well, I will tell you his dad was probably well, his dad was probably at work. <laughs> <laughs> um but I mean, I so this kind of, I found out after we decided to do this, that apparently my father and his father worked together um, in, in Philly um, off of the Schuylkill. But yeah, so I, I mean, it, from what I understand, his parents or his dad at least took a lot of time off when this happened. Um, when he was convicted, he didn't come back to work. Um, and from what I understand, the mom and the sister obviously wanted nothing to do with the family name after this. Who the hell would? Right. Like, I think, I think the father and mother separated after this. You cannot tell me there wasn't signs. There wasn't red oh, there flags. there had to be. There had to be. Right. Because you're not seeing a school psychologist at the age of 11 unless there's a and reason and doing explicit sexual drawings like why wasn't that brought to someone's attention yeah like how like old that's, are you that's at 11? disturbing i mean what at grade 11. are you in yeah. 11 you're probably like in maybe fifth grade yeah like i, I was still playing with fucking i mean dolls. That, i mean you know today's world it's a lot different you know 
fifth graders know a lot more than they probably should. But back then, I don't think they did. No. Because you didn't have the internet readily available like you do now to find anything. So, 1988 was when I... I was 15. ...met my ex. So, I must have been 16, 17 that year. So... And he was how old? He was 15. Well, he I'm sorry, he was 14. He was a few months shy of his 15th birthday, which is why in one of the appeals where they changed the, the, the date of when you could be tried as an adult, they upped it to 15. He was trying to make it retroactive to his case because he was only a couple months away from And being, my girl, Christine right. Allen Jackson, said, nope, we don't no, do that retroactive. We're doing that. She is a trip. I love that judge to pieces. <laughs> but, I mean, I didn't see anything where anybody, you know, was looking into the school or, you know, trying to find out why he was like he was. And there was I obvious mean, warning signs. Why didn't somebody... I mean, have their eye on this kid. I don't know, but I mean, you figure at that point she was already Eddie, already dead, and he was already being, you know, right. But was what, the prime if, suspect. So what? If he was being looked look at into? at eleven, oh, that yeah, yeah. So that was three years. You mm -hmm. knew that this kid was fucked up in the head, right? And you just let him terrorize yeah, South I would, Jersey. I, mean, I wish you could. I wish there was more information out there about you know his parents or what. You know, if there was any kind of intervention going on or if he was in like daily, monthly, weekly counseling or something. Yeah, or... I mean, it just it doesn't add up. If you knew there was something wrong with him at right. 11 that he was seeing a school psychologist. Right. You know, that there's there should have been something going on then. I mean, maybe he was on meds. I don't know, because you can't. You can't find information back then because in 88, right. I don't even think we had computers. Right. So, like, the one newspaper article was literally that, <laughs> cut out of a newspaper. <laughs> I'm trying to blow it up. I'm trying to print it. You, you can't get nothing, but that's where all the... Right. The details were so I had to sit we there might have to go to and the type library it. next time and microfiche the yeah. newspaper article. Get the Dewey Decimal <laughs> System out. Like, I mean, I'm just baffled by this whole thing. I hope he never gets out. I hope he. I mean, I feel like, but I think they're going to kick him out. I don't think they will because he technically got life. He got life with the ability to get parole after 30 years. So I mean, he's in there for life. He's not taking the steps for the past two, three years to get in front of a parole board. So he, he did get life. So I feel like he'll be in there for a while unless... But isn't it life, but you only have to serve 30 years? No. I don't think so. It was life with the... Because you can get life. And you can go before the parole board 50 gazillion times. That doesn't mean they're going to let you out. But you're in there for life. Yeah, well, you're eligible for parole after so many years. That's what it is. So, Because there's people that have been in jail that go before a parole board and get denied. five, ten times yeah. and get denied because they're either still getting in trouble while they're in prison or they're, they know that they're lying or something comes out, you know what I mean? And they get denied and they still have to serve life. So, 
I mean, and there's no way to find out, you know, what's been happening since he's right. been in prison. Like, is he getting, you know, help? Is he right. on medication? Are you rehabilitating him or is he just thrown in a cell? I mean, he's probably just thrown in a cell. Who knows? I wish we, you know, I don't know anybody in Southwoods at this point. I used to, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't anymore. Um, I mean, it would be interesting to know what was, kind of life he How come he he's leaves. still in Jersey? Why wasn't he shipped to... Well, why would he be? The crime commit was committed in Jersey. Where would he go? I don't know. Like, George Trenton, where the real murderers are. You know South, what I mean? Southwoods is, is, is no joke. It's pretty... There's a lot of bad people there. Like, you're thinking, like, Bordentown. That's, like... That's the bad one. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like this, that seems too comfy. He shouldn't be in Salem County. Well, get, that's not. Get this held is up in, in North um, Jersey. This isn't in Salem County. I think it's considered Cumberland County. It's in Bridgeton. It's like down on the way towards the shore. Oh, yeah, why not? And Let's I house think, actually, down towards the shore. That sounds I'm like fun. I'm trying to think. I thought, they were, I thought they were closing Southwoods, but. So I don't know. I mean, he's tried post-conviction relief. He's tried appellate court appeals, you know, trying to say that the brain development should have been, an expert should have been allowed as part of his appeal, you know. But why file four appeals? Four appeals were denied, thank you. But not do what you're supposed to do to get parole. That's what doesn't make sense. It doesn't. It doesn't. I think he's scared to get out. Well, that and like why these attorneys that are fighting so hard to file these appeals for him, why aren't they telling him to get his shit together if he wants to get out that bad? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, there's got to be a reason why he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing to get out. Right. If you're filing for four appeals, seems to me you want to get out. And And again, this is just our opinions, our conclusions. You know, it, the research that we did on the computer. It's um, not accessible to anybody who wants to do their own. Yeah, and you could just Google it yourself and see what you can find and draw your own conclusions. But I'm just like, I don't know, puzzled on why yeah. he's doing so many appeals but won't do what he's supposed to do to get out. Right, and you figure the, I mean, his one appeal was most recent as 2020. That was only two years ago. Yeah, so it got denied. Why wouldn't you do the next step on what you have to right, do to get because parole? because he was eligible at that point. I'm pretty sure um, at that point he was eligible when he filed this appeal. I don't know. I can only hope they get denied. Now, I'm assuming that the parents get notified every time he's up for parole. If he goes up for parole, right. Which, I mean, because he hasn't followed the steps that he needs, there's not even been a hearing set. But in this other article, it said that the mom was next. So who the hell wants him out? And how do you go from living in your mommy and daddy's house, never, ever living on your own, and they're just going to throw him out in the streets? Well, that's the thing. Like, what kind of he's family, set like, up for failure? Does he have people visiting him in prison? Does he have what kind of relationship does he even have with his family if he was to get out? So maybe that's why he hasn't taken the steps because there's like a lot of paperwork. Like, 
you have to know certain things, I think, ahead of time, like where you're going to go, where you're going to be living, who's going to be, you know what I mean? Because you're probably still going to have to check in with probation like weekly and all this and that. Like maybe he doesn't have anywhere to go. Maybe he can't find anybody to let him come live with him. You know what I'm saying? Wouldn't be me. Right. You wouldn't even get my shed. But I, I really hope. Oh my God! I there put is... my glasses on because I was like, "Is that a deer over there?" <laughs> there is a deer in the woods listening to our podcast. Hi, Bambi. <laughs> but I kind of feel like maybe that's why he hasn't done it because he's had plenty of time. But maybe he just doesn't have that support system that he needs to be able to get out. So, what would be the difference if he actually won an appeal, or he was out on parole? If you well, want an appeal, aren't you still on parole? Well, yeah, I would think I would think so because of the nature of the crime. I'm I'm not a lawyer. Like I I'm, don't yeah. know. I'm spinning wheels here on like, why. I feel like he they claimed that the punishment was cruel and excessive for a fourteen year old. But to me, it wasn't all that because ninety six times was a bit excessive in yeah. my book. Adult so, crime, adult exactly. crime. And I want to go back to the ages where let the parents at them. Right. Let the parents have 20 minutes. That's all they need. Right. But uh, let's bring back stoning. I mean, I don't think him going to jail is suffice for the crime he did. No, I don't. I mean, and, the little girl never even got out of middle school. She never even went to high school. Right. She didn't get to experience a lot of things. And, and meanwhile, he can He's and experiencing then, a whole different world in prison, but... But still, I don't think it's... I mean, I, I don't know if the sentence would have been reduced if he was a juvenile, if he was. If they did retroactive it and he, they resentenced him as a juvenile, what those guidelines are or what it would have been, if it would have been less. Which then again, wouldn't he still have to be on some kind of parole? Or pro, I mean, because parole and probation are two different things, but like... I don't know. But my thought is, if you have a child that stabbed a child almost a hundred times, why wasn't he in a mental institution? He's fucked up in the head. Well, not only that, but the one part in that article, too, says he blacked out. Like, while he was stabbing her and he woke up and she was all stabbed up. I mean, like, it doesn't say he was on drugs or anything like that. Like, no. So, if you stab someone 95 times, you're fucked up in the head. Yeah, because that's to me, is a bit excessive. Yeah. I definitely I mean, a bit excessive. to be that age and stab somebody once, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> right. But to do it excessively like that, like, there's really I mean, something wrong. So, was it premeditated? Like, I know they mentioned that he had shoplifted a, a pocket knife the day before to protect him from the dog. So did he know, like it was premeditated that he was going to that house to rob it. I guess it was just, he didn't know that she was going to be but there. But he went to the same school. He knew what time she started school. So he knew she was there. Well, he might not have because he was in junior high. And right, she but was he in... went to this school first oh, before he went to that's junior true. high. That's true. And you would think being a neighbor, he would know and being friends with her brother that he would know what time she left. So that's why I say I think there's more to it that they probably never dug deep down into. But it but... said that he didn't confess the story. So 
when you get into these appeals, the appeals usually go back to the original crime and give you, if they didn't confess, it gives you their theory. But the article clearly said that he didn't confess, so this is all just theory. So maybe he did know she was there. Maybe he was planning on raping her and she gave up a fight. I mean, you just don't know because he is not doing any interviews. He kind of did confess. When they were t- when they were in- when they were talking to him, he I mean he said that he he did stab her and jabbed her and hit her with the telephone because she wouldn't sh- stop screaming. So he did kind of confess. Yeah, but not in as much detail as I mean. Well, because maybe he did and they just didn't report it. I mean, I wouldn't want to hear that the details over and over again either. So maybe right. it's just not out there. I mean, but I'm going to say that he knew she was home because he went to the same damn school and they didn't change start times. Right. So I'm going to say he knew she was there. I mean, unless her routine was that, you know, she was supposed to be meeting her friends for breakfast and maybe she was just running late and maybe she wouldn't have been there because maybe he knows that she goes and does that every day and meets her friends for breakfast but so his school started before hers so he, so wouldn't he know, shouldn't yeah. know what she's doing unless yeah. he was friends with the brother maybe the brother right. mentioned it in conversation or you know if he was at the house enough which it says he's been in and out of the house you know hanging out there over the past nine previous years you know that maybe you know kids talk you know house people are like oh you gonna you gonna hang out with so-and-so tomorrow morning while the kids are over there playing so but i did find it interesting that she said tell him to go home i don't like him yeah well she and then the next day he murdered her like and and that's what i'm saying always trust that inside gut gut. because it never steers you wrong you're right don't play it off don't you know just push it to the side it it's really true yeah like, when you get that feeling about anything or anyone, trust it 100%. Yeah, definitely. So, any final thoughts? I mean, I guess we can maybe do a follow-up and see if he, you know, maybe try to keep an eye out or anything in relation to this. And, you know, see if he ever does get his shit together and go before parole board and see how that goes. I, I think he's afraid to get out. I think he is, too. Yeah. Not only has he never lived life outside of that, besides in his mom's house, but he's probably afraid of someone coming after him and murdering him. He's in his comfort zone, even though I'm sure it's not a a comfy life to live in prison, I'm sure. But I don't know. You're worried about dying in there, too. I don't know. I've never been in prison. You can get shanked anywhere. Orange is the don't new drop, black coming don't in. Don't drop the soap. <laughs> but I don't know. I go back to my theory yeah. and eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's how I feel. You get life. You stay in there for life. You mm-hmm. take your last breath in that prison cell. I agree. And your dead body comes out. That's it. But I guess the world's lucky I'm not a judge. <laughs> <laughs> right. But Christine Allen Jackson is my girl. Right, right. She don't take no shit nowhere. <laughs> She tore my ex up in that courtroom. There you go. So I guess we'll end the podcast and just wanted to reiterate that this is our opinions, our thoughts, 
you know, the conclusions we came to from the research we did. You could draw your own conclusions. And on that note, we'll say good night. And you can follow us on social media, uh, Robin and Stephanie's Crimeaholics Podcast. We are on Facebook and Instagram. And let's see what local crime we get next week. All right. So we'll give a little hint. It is in Westville. <laughs> <laughs> so good night and thank you for listening. Peace out.